0: Welcome to Philosophy for Theologians. My name is Jared Oliphant. I'll be your host today. We've got a bunch of uh, panelists who are going to be talking about philosophical issues, theological issues, how we combine those things. And um, I won't explain. I'll actually let one of our panelists go into exactly what he's going to be doing on this show. Um, but let me introduce uh, our one of our hosts, uh, Camden Busey. Uh, you want to say hey. hi, Camden?
1: Hello. It's wonderful to be on the other side of uh, things. We've got a. A New tech here, <laughs> <laughs> as you can tell. Yeah. <laughs>
0: this, this is, is awesome. all sorts of different in this episode <laughs> yeah, yeah. because I'm down. here I guess in Windows Charlotte Media Player just why, keeps playing the it, next. That's photo. what
1: it does. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we shouldn't have uh, set the, set the playlist up that way. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, it's it's great to be back on Philosophy for Theologians. As uh, the program has been on hiatus a little bit, but we're very excited to have Paul Maxwell uh, behind the or at the helm. He's running things. Um, here at the studio and we're hopefully going to try to revamp this program so that it comes out more regularly and to do that we've enlisted some help of uh some friends of ours so uh this is kind of a trial run but we're we're not taking the subject lightly at all but uh but uh, it's going to be kind of a hit and miss at points on some of the technical aspects but uh that's part of the charm of this show it's just a relaxed discussion right guys <laughs>
0: exactly yeah nice. maybe is if fits fits we can find right a different word. The theme. Okay.
1: <laughs> so anyway jared yeah it's great to be here and thanks for having me on actually if i remember yeah, correctly the show i uh,
0: introduce uh our the person who's going to be talking the most on this episode he's got a few things no in the philosophical hopper uh that he wants to discuss today and that is uh one of our favorites bob laraca hello welcome to the show bob thank bob. you bob <laughs> Sorry, that's not. we don't have that effect. Yeah. And, and we can provide our own sound effects. That's also fine. I'm sure you can
2: just put that in.
0: But um, to start we off, Cam, did we have anything uh, preliminarily that we want to uh, discuss or, or get into before well, Bob goes? I mean,
1: on some of the other shows I've been mentioning a little bit about the changes at reformedforum.org um, – We've yeah. we've done a, a little bit of a refresh and tried to try to add some new features so i've I've improved the look of it I think in in a few ways but also what you'll notice there's two main changes the sidebar has these tabbed panels which allow you to browse through different types of content featured books, uh, a Twitter stream uh, and also news uh, and and blogs from around the web so you can visit online and get kind of a rundown of what's going on there but also if you look at the uh the menu system I've tried to improve that and we're working very hard to develop uh kind of a resource library so you're you will be able to browse through our resources in a more structured and uh I don't know intuitive way. So uh we're trying to develop um all the necessary categories like you go to systematics and then under systematics there'll be you know, Doctrine of God, uh, Doctrine of Man, Christology, Pneumatology, those sorts of things. And then under there will be other topics. So I'm going through the entire resource library, all 400-plus episodes of our shows, and trying to put them in the right place so that people can visit the website and find them. So that's that's really the big thing this summer, the website revamp. And then uh, everything else we're still trying to plug away, Christ the Center and, the, and our other programs, trying to keep them going. So visit online at reformforum.org.
0: Yeah, and let me just add an appeal that uh, we love feedback, and there are a hundred different ways to do that. There's comments uh, on the actual website where the episode is featured. There's, you know, like Camden said, the Twitter account. You know, if you want to mm-hmm. respond to something, and um, the, one of the only ways that we can kind of tighten the screws around here, um, especially for this episode as it gets up and running, is for listener feedback. So if, if you have a suggestion on. Either what can we do better on a previous show that we might not have seen or uh, topics for upcoming shows, um, we'd love that too. Mm -hmm. And mail at reformforum.org is also another way to get in touch with us if you prefer email, if you're an anti-social networking uh, type of a person, which we also Mm -hmm. understand. We're through the Um, website,
1: yeah. There's a contact form on the website too. All different ways to get a hold of us and they all come to the same place and get fed to the right people. So That's right. Mm -hmm. That's right.
0: Well, uh, we have a uh, hopefully a good episode coming up. We have Bob, and he's got a few things that he wants to talk about, uh, mostly philosophically related uh, in terms of metaphysics, and he's going to be talking about uh, Plato and Aristotle and Thomas. And, uh, Bob, you want to give just kind of a little introduction and then head into um, you know the first part of what you want to talk to us
2: about? Sure. Um, really, I thought it would be interesting to present a show where uh – you know, present or lead a discussion where we talk about the effect, the undeniable effect, the huge uh, effect that Greek thought has played into Christian, especially Western dogmatics, hmm. and the way in which various theologians and various tre- uh, theological traditions have appropriated Plato, Aristotle, or a Mix of uh, both of those thinkers to characterize or, you know, just the, the kind of philosophical assumptions that uh, that are played Within uh, any kind of dogmatic reflection mm-hmm. And so that's what we'll be talking about today And especially specifically in the end Focusing on how uh, two men Two theologians that we talk a lot about On Reformed Forum Or in Christ's Center uh, in general mm-hmm. Is Bavinck and Van Til And the way they kind of use uh, Platonic and Aristotelian ideas And they're kind of a way they synthesize it Into uh, both men We're trying to construct a coherent Christian theistic worldview
1: yeah, I'm sure this will be another fiery discussion but it, you know, somewhat tame at
2: that. I mean, it if yeah, well it's it would be interesting if you guys have opinions about Plato or Aristotle that you think that, you know, we should appropriate more than one or the other or neither or we should just uh, you know.
1: Well, as we've done in previous episodes, you know how just contentious it is to talk about philosophy and can it be done from a Christian right. perspective and what is um, it?
2: This is uh, that's that is a contentious and I'm glad actually that that it is something that is to be contended because I think as Reformed Christians we really have to come down on what we believe philosophy is and what its pl- and and where its place is. yeah and uh, whether there's there's many Christians who try to make philosophy at the same level as theology it's just it's another form of truth that is at the same level has the same kind of authority and Christianity better uh better match up with the claims. Of a uh, philosophical reflection now, of, of course that's inappropriate there is uh a this i 'm not going to i don't want to say this in the uh negative way, but you know the the Anabaptist view of philosophy, which was to try to spurn off all uh other disciplines as much as they can, especially philosophical speculation, and have a pure um biblical worldview mm-hmm. and you know, especially. Theologians in our tradition also warn us against that spurning off all philosophy because philosophy can be an incredible help, um, and also whether you know, what we talked about in the last episode is whether philosophy even exists. Yeah, which I find a fascinating discussion because I coming here, you know, like like we talked about last time, coming at Westminster, I just always assumed it did, but there's <laughs> a lot more of a, a lot more discussions, you know, that need to need to be take place about it. Mm-hmm. So with Plato and Aristotle, we're not actually talking about their philosophy, or uh, we're more so talking about how their philosophy has been used by uh, theologians. So, uh, yeah, that's, that's what our discussion will be today. Wonderful.
0: Yeah, and I should also mention I'm not a uh, Thomistic expert, uh, nor am I a Bob Inc. expert. It's, I have read Bob Inc., but it's been a while, and so I'm I'm learning right with everybody else uh, today. So it'll be nice to get into a topic that isn't exactly my specialty, if if I have one.
2: <laughs> yeah, well, this is it's, it's good. I mean, because I'm not an expert in these things either. It's just trying. It's more or less I'm just giving you things that I've been trying to piece together mm-hmm. and trends that I find through you know various. Uh, various times in in the history of theology and philosophy, as they've been intertwining uh, yeah. throughout the last two thousand years, mm-hmm. and that's something very interesting. And you know, I think, and even with you know, because you study so much Van, Van Til here at uh, Westminster, it gives you an excellent grid <laughs> to try to assess the ways in which philosophy can be used uh, by theologians. And that's what the that's what the name of the show is, isn't it? Philosophy, <laughs> for <the religions>. <laughs> genius, <laughs> bringing it all back Bob. home. Oh, so appropriate. <laughs> yeah. Um. So I guess we can I can we can start our take our, it away. We can start our little journey. Um, a sound
3: effect for that or something? I don't know. <laughs> oh, I don't know. Nietzsche <laughs> and Hegel? Maybe not. Okay, no. <laughs> no, I think that's from Monty Python, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. But if if.
2: If you have had any philosophy background, if you've taken even maybe a philosophy one oh one class during your undergrad or just even heard about Plato, what is the cardinal doctrine of Plato's world to you? you no, know, the forms. The forms, of yeah. course. Uh, everyone who's who knows about Plato knows about Platonic ideas, Platonic forms, or to put it more philosophical jargon, these subsisting ontological exemplar entities.
1: I was just gonna say that. <laughs>
2: <laughs> uh and his doctrine of the forms uh, would have it that all things or all uh, identif- identifiable um, objects with certain natures, or it's better, probably better to put that certain natures, participate in or resemble in an imperfect way due to their materiality these eternal forms. And so the way to understand uh, universality and particularity within Platonic worldview was to find the unity of all things. So for instance, what makes uh, Camden and I both a human and how I can predicate human a canon and human of myself and and human of everybody else Mm -hmm. would be that we all participate in this single uh, ontological form that Exists. You can't. You don't want to talk about in spatial language out there, mm-hmm. but it does exist in a transcendent fashion. More instead of maybe spatial or or physical, in a more metaphysically transcendent fashion. Just like just like with God, you know, for us Christians, we're not going to say that God is over there in terms of where He is in term in terms of his transcendence. You know, it's God is He's not He He is transcendent in a more almost. To put it in an anal- analogically in a metaphysical sense or in a um, almost sp- spiritual transcendence than mm. than than a, than a spatial one so it's not like there's some world of ideas existing in space right outside the Milky Way or something like that which you know some people would be confused about it's more of a a metaphysical transcendence is that pretty clear do yeah. you understand mm-hmm. the distinction and so uh, to to what Gives a, what uh, renders particularity is our individual uh, material natures, your materiality and my materiality, and it's it is a hair, hair, you know it's a hairbringer of the um, of Greek thought that materiality is the basis for individuation. You get that in Aristotle and even uh, Aquinas and many others uh, bring that along with them. And there's limitations and there's benefits to that, but um, so taking that metaphysical standing standpoint. About our universal natures, our universal humanity is not something that we have, it's something that we participate in, in this transcendent principle. So it's not in us, it's not like we ha- we uh it's not like we have humanity in our corporeal being, it's that we participate in the idea of humanity, the transcendent uh the transcendent form. Mm hmm. You guys are all right with that. Yeah. That's pretty standard.
1: Pretty standard Plato. <laughs>
2: it's pretty standard Plato. So, how has uh how has that been appropriated by Christians? That uh, because when Christians are asking questions about universality or particularity, when they're trying to understand transcendent natures and how we can predicate one thing of many things, Plato has offered offered a a theory and Christians have been uh Christians have not been hesitant to take this, theory, uh, take this theory up. And oftentimes, instead of these forms subsisting in some ethereal realm, they would say that the ideas existed in the mind of God. And so, what makes us, what makes you a human, what makes me a human, is not the not this form or this idea existing within me or within myself, or in another form world, or in another form world. It exists in God's knowledge Mm -hmm. of us, knowledge of, of us as human. So that one idea, as it pertains to us as particulars, then serves as a unifying principle of, let's say, in this case, our humanity. And that's what uh, so that was a that was a move made by Saint Augustine, and prior to him, uh, actually that that was Neoplatonic that was Neoplatonic uh, with a, a Neoplatonic doctrine given by Philo and uh, Plotinus, or as I like to say, Plotinus. <laughs> <Yeah>.
1: <laughs> Plotinus was a hairbringer of truth.
2: Right. So, w- if I were to open this up to you guys, what are the benefits and uh, limitations? of placing these universal forms in the mind of God. Do you guys find that within reformed uh theology or is that do you think that do you think we should dispense with the idea of universal ideas altogether or uh let's Well, there's
1: a, there has been traditional um or uh, there have been debates in the past about universals and concepts and and uh and those have been things that have been uh, argued about throughout medieval uh, philosophy. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, we think about figures like Occam and uh, right. and others. So there are there have been many people in history that have rejected the notion of, of real universals. Mm-hmm. Uh, whether or not that's appropriate uh, is a different question.
2: Right, but That that is my question, and it's a, a difficult one because even his student, Plato's student, and this is yet again Philosophy 101, rejected the theory of forms, and he rejects it in the first, uh, or so the second chapter of the first book of Uh, Aristotle's metaphysics is there is a rejection of the platonic forms and what does uh, Aristotle instead uh, what does Aristotle propose instead of the forms Mm -hmm. they are universals and in Latin it's in re in the thing itself so there is no transcendent uh, principle form idea uh, outside things considered on the whole so what makes up the universal humanity for aristotle hey bob do you guys yes uh
0: can you well this may be off topic right now but um i just thought about it while you raised the question what what would be the difference then between uh you know like an immaterial universal and something uh, like an immaterial concept like uh love or you know something like that that, um are you gonna eventually explain that or is that am i jumping the gun here
2: uh, you said a difference what was the other the other thing you want me to differentiate between
1: well, well just a real the, you know, universal a, and then uh, like well Bob would say there's a real universal for, for love material concepts well
2: I think you know, well there's some people who would say sure. lots many Christians who would even say many reformed Christians who would even say that there is a universal for uh, in that in that case it would be an actus or or, a, or a relation of love so, mm-hmm. so do those metaphys- do those metaphysical entities exist? A realist would oftentimes say so.
1: And then other uh, people would question whether or not uh, that universals are simply similarities uh, between items that our minds construct right. or use as name. To, yeah, the the name even, anomalous is even yep. another. Uh, argument that people just uh, name a similarity,
2: right? Well, yeah. that they're not actually in that real. case. There wouldn't be any when I say human, human between Camden and I. That right. that is a convenient name on the basis of well, let's say empirical observation right. that Camden looks like a human. He has all the physical right. traits of a human, and, I, and this other person has the physical traits of a the human. They're, so they must share some they, universal. They, so well, share and for anomalous it's the the universal is the similarities is the. Is the name the that name. we place on it? It's human that we construct these these right. universals. And, uh, and I think, sorry, in Jared. back
0: Of what I was asking, it was just uh, I think um, that relates to okay, what is existence? What does it mean for something to exist? Uh,
2: that's quite a question, you know, because that's
0: gonna, Yeah, well, <laughs> it, that, that lies in the back of Okay, do universals exist? What are universals? Um, yeah. They're immaterial And so, you know, scrap the word love Let's say any other material concept like humility um, You know, so what's the difference then between and So that's really um, what I was trying to get at And that may be off topic But it just came yeah, to mind I as you are relating think We
2: might get into that when we get more into uh, the way Which theologians and thinkers we would agree a lot, a lot more about uh, with when they start mm-hmm. talking about things like that. And yeah. okay. um so we'll save it for now. We'll we'll stick we'll, we'll stick with the pagans in Greece <laughs> and uh then we'll we'll make a half step through Roman Catholicism and then we'll make the full stride to reformed uh, Dutch Dutchmen of the 20th century. <laughs> <laughs> but Perfect. uh so Aristotle's instead the universal in Aristotle is not something that subsists in itself ontologically instead, the universal of humanity universal humanity in exists in every human and taken together every single living specimen of humanity is the universal of humanity because all of us all of us have this universal in as much as we participate or i'm no, sorry i'm I'm putting uh, putting Thomistic Veil over uh, uh, Aristotle there. I don't want to say participate. All of us are human in as much as we are human in our substance. We have the substance of humanity. Each substance taken individual um, has that universal within them, but nonetheless, they don't have the universal on the whole. The whole is every single human substance taken together is the universal humanity. So if you remember that uh, famous... Painting made by I think is Leonardo, right? Uh, of of the School of Athens. The uh, the painting in the, yeah, in the you know you know the famous painting with yeah. Aristotle and yeah. Plato yeah. Are walking yeah. together. I think that's Leonardo, right?
0: I think that's right. I think yeah. it's Leonardo, uh, nonetheless, it's it's a
2: fa- it's, you know really famous painting. <laughs> I think and it's or Raphael, I don't <laughs> it, it Splinter was.
0: might be Splinter it was. might yeah. <laughs> Splinter, shredder.
2: <laughs> but um, in that painting, it's a it's a great painting because it's right in the middle. Uh, you have Plato and Aristotle walking together, and Plato is carrying the Timaeus, you know, his uh, his cosmology, like one of his last works, and his old man, and he's pointing to the sky. You ever notice this? Some um, yeah. have you heard this before? And he's pointing to the sky, and Aristotle is holding his etica, and he's and he's having this middle way. He doesn't want to dispense with universals altogether, but they're not pie in the sky subsistent beings. They exist horizontally among, among things. Uh, that every single thing taken together, and this is kind of the this is anachronistic, but the empiricism in in Aristotle that you go and you, you discover universal humanity or universal turtle <laughs> by investigating all the turtles, and you can you can come to a greater understanding of uh, what it means to be a, the, the turtle, knowing that your knowledge is real and is not dispensable because there is the universal. To be sought after, and he's not skeptical in that way, and that's the dogmatic element in uh, Aristotelian philosophy. So on that on that basis, when it comes to uh, when I'm talking mostly about universals, but uh, how would a Christian appropriate that is mostly that um, universals, and this is how many in Paris uh, men like Don Scotus and another more obscure guy named Sigurd Beban, and even uh, Muslim theologians who believe in a doctrine of creation there is no they don't have to talk about an idea of in god they have to say that all the universals or the the universal humanity was created so god created these universals and they exist horizontally amongst the created realm mm. and that's how often they would uh, appropriate appropriate aristotle on the basis of universals and even god for instance uh Plato's God, he says this in the seventh chapter of the Republic, is beyond being. He is the good, mm-hmm. and this and the idea of the good is this. And um, Pseudo Dionysius takes this up, and um, Meister Eckert takes this up, where God is beyond being, beyond the being of uh, of, of of the created world, and uh, so well our, our Plato didn't. didn't didn't hold the creation. So I keep on using this Christian language beyond the, the physical, corporeal, uh, experiential world that God is even beyond this. And he is the good who then creates being. And for, and so that is the kind of transcendentalism within Plato. But for Aristotle, God is just like everything else, a substance. If God is a being, he's a being as a substance. In this case, a, um, a spiritual substance. Who is a thought thinking himself? You we're
1: using a lot of vocabulary like substance, existence, subsistence. Yep. How do you distinguish between subsistence and existence?
2: Well, it's it
1: a matter of precision.
2: It's uh, something that exists will subsist in a certain form. So that it's just it's an abstract way of dis- distinguishing between your existence and we're, your almost w- essence. Yeah, your way of existing. Uh-huh. So when we say subsist, it's almost like way of existing where we're still holding into we're still on the existential side of, of being mm-hmm. but we're talking about kind of that you exist in something or as something. Mm-hmm. So in this case, or even we can talk about the subsistence of your human nature is in your person. So you subsist as the person Camden Busey, mm-hmm. but nonetheless, and so you're, and you're, and you exist. Your existence subsists in your human nature. That is your, your hum- humanness. So, um, so anyway, so for uh, for many these for many Christians like um, like pseudo Dionysius and um, even some uh, anti ontological uh, theologians today there is a there is this platonic element where god is beyond being uh you don't even want to ascribe being to god because they find that to be onto theology and that uh even 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 these uh even men who are concerned with the creator creature distinction believe that predicating being of god would uh would annihilate the creator creator creature distinction so someone like meister eckert or um jean-luc marion would try to lift god outside being and, and call him Almost the ethereal good hmm. uh, so from this description, from your knowledge, what do you think what do you think reformed theologians would do with all this?
1: Well, you have difficulties when you start to ask questions about the universal of of being or existing right, and um, if we start to say that we participate or exist in the same universal. As God does, right, then we have major problems with creator creature
2: distinction, and that's exactly what Aristotle does. Mm -hmm. Aristotle uh, for Aristotle, being is not the same as it is in in Aquinas, where it's this kind of existential act. For Aristotle, it is a thing, and thing denotes its substance. It's Mm -hmm. almost um, it's it's subsisting whatness.
1: Yeah, you also just have uh, problems when we speak about God's simplicity and, and how his existence and essence are, are one and the same. Um when we say God is loving and, and we say Bob is loving, we don't uh there's an analogue between the two, but we can't at all predicate univocally of the two. So those those are other philosophical issues that Reformed people have been dealing with uh through the centuries.
2: Yeah. And um interestingly the, the doctrine of the doctrine of simplicity is um is more is more of a is more you know formulated within a, within a Christian context, mm-hmm. and that's how and I guess we can lead this on and bring this on to how Aquinas tried to synthesize these various strains, and to come up with a doctrine of simplicity that could also have a doctrine of creation.
1: Yeah, and there's a previous episodes that deal with some of the history of Thomas and some of his yeah. appropriation and use of uh, Aristotle and interpretations of Aristotle. Um, so uh, I'd encourage you to, and also the listeners to go to the archives for those. James
2: Dolesel was on; he talked about uh, Gregory Doolin's book. Yeah, and on, that for media review. that will be a very helpful uh, episode to look at because that's a that he covered Thomas's exemplarism. So Thomas Aquinas, and this is maybe a good way of getting into uh, getting into this topic. Thomas Aquinas was always, uh, for so many centuries, seen as, especially by Protestants, baptized Aristotle. Yep. And they saw him as baptized Aristotle really on the basis of one issue, that for Aquinas, for creatures, the universal exists in things. And he would affirm that. He would affirm that you and I have ontologically or metaphysically within us the universal of humanity, or this has the universal of table, or that has the universal of plant, and on and on and on. They exist in things. so. Scholars uh, mostly thought, oh, well, he's decided. He's decided against the ontological subsisting forms in Plato and, uh, and has gone with Aristotle's um, universals in Ray. Mm. But,
0: can you yes. can you explain just kind of sp- the specifics on how a universal exists in something beyond just kind of, um, you know, just describing it?
2: Um, yeah, you know, sure. How, what are, how are we supposed to think of that? What's the point
1: of a universal in a thing if it's just in a thing?
2: What's the? Uh,
1: I, I guess also, what's the, the 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 cash value for saying for saying that?
2: Well, let me let me tackle. I'm going to be William James for a minute. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, and just just to put it out, there, we're assuming that we don't mean spatially, and so in no. what aspect do we mean that a universal actually exists in a thing?
2: It'd be like this, Jared. If I were to ask you, uh, do you believe that? Um, do you believe in essences? Maybe that's a bad question. Uh, let's say you, yeah. <laughs> uh, let's okay. say you did believe in essences. Let's say you did believe in essences. Where does the essence exist in a thing? It doesn't. It's more, it's, you can't talk about it in kind of spatial or corporeal language. But if you believe that things have essences, that essence contains, uh, in as much as what it is, participates in a universal for Aquinas – so, if you have the essence of humanity, you are, part- are participating in the universal of humanity by your very essence, which is in you. So, if I were to try to say that Camden has an essence, I'm not saying that Cam- that essence is somewhere else, somewhere in some ethereal realm, somewhere in, you know, in Canada. <laughs>
1: Definitely
2: not. It's not in Canada. <laughs> it's in Camden. Camden's essence, if you believe in essence, is in Camden. Somehow, let's say we're uh, somehow limited by maybe his corporeal frame, his individuality, his subsistence, and so when you, when we talk about essences or universals being in things, it is in as much as you participate in a certain essence. Let's say this the essence the essence of humanity. You are therefore participating also in this universal of humanity because the universal is every human taken as a whole. Mm. So you are almost playing a part in the universal of humanity. It's in each human and each human can bring it together to form what is humanity. So for that's why oftentimes uh, when Van Til would critique Aristotle would be to say, well, to come to a knowledge of an essence, it would seem like you would have to have every single exactly <laughs> you would have to have uh, omniscience. But the, you know there is there is doctrines in there to support his view, like for instance, the ability of the human mind for Aristotle, and Aquinas takes us over too, is that the human mind has the ability, and this is just dogma, this is just what he believes, the ability, the human mind has the ability to abstract the essence from a thing. So, I can abstract uh, from Paul his human, human nature, and that's the ability of the mind. So, that's how they try to address that issue. Well, wouldn't you have to have would you have to have a, uh, a sampling of, or would you have to have universal knowledge of every human to know the essence? No, because the. Oh, sorry. You know the universal? No, because we have a, um, examples amongst various um, various things, which can give us the, the you know the essence yeah, of what it means the, to be universal. The mind extracts
1: the universal and it impresses upon our mind or memory, however we want to term that. And right. So, so you end up with a, a
3: copy. Of it in your own—that's that's more self. Thomas
2: than Aristotle, but it's somewhat similar. Yeah. Okay. All right. So, yeah.
3: Bob, I was going to ask. So, when you perceive someone's essence, I was going to say, how would Aristotle say you know which universal that essence is contributing to, or which pool it was in? And you'd say he would—he would just say you could intuit that.
2: Yeah. Well, it—it's it, that it is part of that intuition. I know more for Thomas, and I can be more precise if I talk now about Thomas. But there's such, you know there's such similarity that. Right, I can be a- I can be accurate more with Thomas, but with Aquinas, it's um, this is something that happens in- intuitively. That when I perceive you, I separate everything that is not uh, everything that is particular, and I abstract. My my brain has the ability to abstract the universal from you. So watch out. He's going to abstract your universe.
1: Uh-oh. So, just like a dentist.
2: Yeah, extracting <laughs> cheese. <laughs> your stock. Extracting cheese. Do <laughs> so, you uh, have a sound effect for that?
1: <laughs> I just tried to do one. I know, I know. <laughs> just extract. Well, it's interesting. Uh,
0: so the think- cash
2: value, uh, getting to Cam's question, yeah. is against Plato. Because Plato yeah. had this famous, what all of his Greek, um, what everyone, who, everyone who's Greek who rejected him had a word for it. It was the... Uh, I think it's, it's something like charisma, which if you think it's kind of like charisma, or when, when Paul says uh, aphorismenos the word for being set apart, mm-hmm. you know, uh, you know, uh, he says set apart for the gospel um, in Romans mm-hmm. one. That "riz" so "choriz," and that "riz" means Hori, to be separate. Yeah, "choristentos." Separa- yeah, yeah. It's to be separated from right. that we don't have any access. Aristotle and those who followed him say to the ideas. Where are they? Why can't I experience them, perceive them, know them? And so the cash value for Aristotle, and I, you, know, you can you can even sense this, is that if the universal is not high in the sky in this ethereal realm, and if it's in things, we can have access to them and know them through the ability of the of the mind's power to the extract intellect. Yep.
0: Yeah. The agent intellect. I guess it'd be the agent intellect. It, yeah. yeah. You know, I'm wondering. I'm trying to get um, behind the spatial metaphors and just say, okay, it, um, how do how do you know? You know, it's great to kind of posit something and say, okay, all these propositions fit together in a in a um, philosophical jigsaw puzzle and they're consistent with each other. But um, you know, participation in something and we see the universals, and, that's and, more timistic, and, and but they're yeah. not really theirs. Yeah, yeah. But you know, just how, I just want to say
2: that's not Aristotle. I want to be precise. Better go on. Yes, yeah, sir.
0: Okay. Okay. Yeah. Um, (laughs) but do you know what I'm getting at? I mean,
3: how can we explain
0: these concepts without using the, the spatial metaphors? What's behind them and what's, um, you know, if they're metaphors, what are they metaphors for? Because they're, they're not spatial.
2: Well, it's because, um, it's because our language, when we talk about like in Camden, it seems like, you know, it's not, it, it seems like I should be talking about it in the same way that I talk about, um, My you know, kidneys or yeah, something? Yeah. Or, or, you know, right. or a, a box of crackers in the pantry. <laughs> it's like a mm-hmm. box of crackers in Camden. <laughs> in Camden. You know, the, the well, box- and I guess,
0: I I a guess to clarify, <laughs> that's something that we can point to in terms of our epistemology, how we know something is in something or not. And then when, when you get outside of that, it's like, okay, well, these things are in Camden in another sense. Well, how does someone go about finding out um, the degree to which it's in Canada, all those other questions that surround: How do we know that this is, an, in fact, the case if we can't point to it?
2: Well, that's uh, that would be that is the modern objection to metaphysics: is that you can't prove it empirically. Is that way? Well, can't, no, I mean not okay. Not sorry, metaphysics maybe I'm, in
0: general. I'm, I'm really sticking to th- these particular descriptions of metaphysical entities rather than the whole right. field.
2: See, oh, sorry, you, you I, I know, meant I meant classical some, metaphysics, you know, I guess. Or if to I'm
1: mean. gonna play devil's advocate or Thomist or anti-Tomist advocate, whatever I want to play. Uh it could seem like a very uh convenient structure or plausible structure, or ways to describe how we go about knowing things or uh understanding how they relate to one another, or understanding their partic the particulars as they relate to the universals. But you can you can agree with you know I could agree with Jared you ask well how do we know there really are things that are that are called essences out there versus just uh you know the conceptualist response and this
2: is i think this is the genius cuz your your criticisms uh i think go uh, go really far when it's against plato and aristotle but beginning with how christians will begin uh or i should say how christians Begin to lay the foundations for how we say these things in theological doctrines is, I think, the beginning of how we can actually have a Christian view of essences, mm. a Christian view of existence, a Christian view of knowing universals even amongst particulars. Mm-hmm. And I think that okay. one of the one of the first people to do this, I think, maybe most successfully, is Thomas Aquinas, and his way of Looking at Plato and Aristotle and these two, different, uh, these two different schemes for making sense of unity amongst diversity and diversity amongst unity in terms of Plato with his uh, subsisting ontological forms, Aristotle with the universals and things that are abstracted by the intellect, with Aquinas, and if you remember also how the Neoplatonic Christians, like Augustine, for instance, would place the divi- those subsisting Platonic forms in the mind of God. Well, with Aquinas is that his metaphysics, I think, starts from his doctrine of creation and his doctrine of divine ideas. And so he would hold to this Neoplatonic exemplar exemplar idea uh, doctrine that was rejected amongst Aristotelians. That's just seen as all too Platonic, all too Neoplatonic. It's uh, Platoninian, it's it's, uh, Augustinian, and we are to be, you know... And especially in the 12th, uh, 13th century, we are to be pure Aristotelian. But he refused to do that, I think, on the basis of his Christian conviction of creation. And for him, God, and this is an analogical uh, talk, but God is like a master artisan. And as an artisan has an idea in his head or an idea in his mind, in his intellect of what he's going to create and what he's going to make... So God has ideas for all beings, not only in their universals, not only does he have ideas for universal humanity, which he does, he also has ideas for all particulars. Mm-hmm. And it is on the basis of those ideas, now this is not Aristotelian at all, it's actually very Neoplatonic. And on the basis of those ideas, he creates things. And he creates the world. But the world, it doesn't have they don't have to look for their unity. They don't have to look for their um, essential natures in the ideas of God only, but God has impressed those ideas into created natures. So the universal divine idea of humanity m- makes itself manifest in, you know, putting reformed terms, uh, ectypally or putting uh, putting in uh, Aquinas's words, analogically in creatures. So you have this divine idea in the original, which is created and impressed into the nature of things. So the idea existed previously in the mind of God and is now in the nature of things. And
1: wouldn't the the alchemist just come and say, "Isn't that just an unnecessary metaphysical entity? Do we even we need to which one? Do we need to say that God has impressed uh, his idea into the natures?
2: Do you know why? Because of the epistemological problem." If God has, uh, some, some Neoplatonic, uh, some are Augustinian thinkers in the 13th century held, d- didn't want to go along with Aristotle at all. They didn't want to have natures in things. What they believed was in a divine illuminationism. And this is pretty straight August, uh, Augustine, True. where the universals are impressed directly on the mind of man, who then can discover unity and diversity amongst creation and ascribe uh, universals to various creatures wouldn't but, you would
1: just say well let me we, let me finish okay. let
2: me finish this account <laughs> so with, ah! with with Aquinas you have the natures you have I, these universal or let's say um, you have these original ideas in the mind of God which has been impressed upon creation and they're now in creation what uh, what God's thoughts were Our, creation yeah. is inherently God's thoughts created and universals not only exist in the mind of God, in the thing, but they can then exist in the mind of man as the created thing impresses itself upon the mind of, mind of man. They can abstract the universal from the thing. So this is somewhat, at least in this regard, a harmonization and a synthesis of the Platonic and Aristotelian strains. So what that's, we
1: say as God created all things— that there is a divine subject-object relationship and that God exists covenantally in relation to all all things that he has made. He, Mm -hmm. the creator, everything else is creatures. Yeah, of course. Now, whenever two creatures interact or I go about experiencing the things that are in this world, um, could I not explain or solve the epistemological problem simply by saying, Well, as I experience this thing, obviously I'm experiencing it in God's world, and it is therefore covenantally related to God because he is the creator.
2: Yeah, that's all true.
1: Yeah, exactly. But do I need to say, again, I'm playing the alchemist, do I need to say that there is a nature that God has departed or impressed upon this thing? Can I not just say I'm experiencing it um, in God's world? And and as God intended it to exist in the, in this world, and therefore it seems like you get the same value. Uh,
2: you don't, but you don't need to well, God here, to create nature. If you're going to play the optimist, mm-hmm. am I a human? Are you a human? Yeah. Some days I wonder. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yes. Or
2: or let's say you
0: know I am a robot. I am a robot.
2: Am I? Of course. Yeah. So. What what makes me a human yeah, for for no, for a, for a t- versus a table because both are made by God right yeah and for what Aquinas is saying is that it's not only God who originally knows you as a human from all eternity hmm. it's that he has taken that knowledge and has created you as such and that in that creation the idea becomes a created thing mm-hmm. now distinct but nonetheless that idea is still. Im- it's it's still formally it's it's like a it's, it's an instance yeah it's yeah. a form it's a formal cause on what the thing is mm-hmm. and so I uh, guess that would be ahead. that would be the the epistemological a great point yeah uh, aspect that when you ask that question like that yeah yes Jared
0: well um, yeah I'm I'm having trouble uh, putting it in a certain way but um, th- it still seems like those are are ways that like how specific it, are the impressions. And kind of jumping off of what Camden said, why do we need to be specific on that? I understand kind of impressions of ideas as, you know, analogical or again, kind of metaphorical. But, you know, to to try to explain the mechanics of something that happens between God as God and creation as creation, I just don't know if we're privy to that information given uh, God's special revelation. I just don't think that he's revealed the mechanics of how that happens. Well, um, do, you, maybe do you believe
2: that God knows? I feel even, if I, even if I ask you, as a Christian, uh, reformed, you know, just a reformed Christian, does God um, know you from all eternity? Yeah.
0: Yes. So did, This is the Socratic method at uh, okay. Philosophy for Theologians. <laughs>
2: right. And so when... Did when God knew you? Did He know you as in like a foreknowledge of who Jared would be on the basis of looking, just the yeah. turn of events? Like looking as you as an object, or was He knowing Himself uh, essentially uh, in His in His primal simple knowledge?
0: Yeah, primal simple knowledge, right. and so
2: also I mean, la- just okay. There's sorry.
0: so many. There's so much behind that too. Is that like every every concept that we're that we're playing with right now? Has difficulties in it. Like, I mean, before time, God knew when, and and we can do nothing but speak intense language, even though we yeah, know that all, that's not accurately reflecting what actually happened. It's all Afrocentric. Um, yeah, exactly. So. Uh, um, I'm just trying to understand. Yeah, how, you know when we when we recognize when we're speaking analogically, and when we're like, no, I'm going to die on the hill of there are actually ideas that are impressed, and that's the mechanics of how things work from creator to creature. Um,
2: well, I'm not trying to uh, die on any hill. Uh, let's 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 finish. Let's let's keep on that You are not that you the are. That let's you just, are, just keep but with I'm the Socratic thing. No, even as a, even as a you know, let's say you're an old lady in a church. And I would ask you, does God have simple absolute knowledge? (laughs) What if, does God have a simple absolute knowledge of Jared? And did God create you as Jared? I would say yes. (laughs) Exactly. So this is not uh, this is the this is the structure, and this this is the theological structure which I think is grounding this kind of metaphysical speculation It's saying that yeah. there are such things as universals and universal humanity because God not only created Jared human, he created Bob Human, he created Paul human, he created Camden human, mm-hmm. and that humanity that idea of humanity is something that existed in the mind of God and exists in the mind of God where every single human uh would fall under. That idea of humanity, and so when God yeah, created it, you, me, Paul, and Camden as humans, we all participate in uh, in this general. Uh, the, we all participate in humanity on the basis I hear of creation. You, but
0: there's a there's a step missing between the way you started off, and then so we participate in in that. Uh, the, you can say it as, as much as you want, but like I, I'm just having trouble seeing how you get from point A to point B. Um, I know you don't, that like, the you idea don't like the word humanity.
2: participate, do you? Well, it doesn't clarify anything. Okay. It might be meaning. bad. It's a, it's, a, it's, a philosoph- it's a philosophical term, so it, it might carry ba- baggage. When I say right. participate, I mean uh, – uh, I think Aquinas has a really great, great way of saying it means to grasp a part. Meaning, we, I participate in humanity only in as much as I am a part of what it means to be human on the whole. Because what it means to be human on the whole is every single human to ever exist. I don't, let's put it this way, I don't exhaust humanity. That's a better way of putting it. I am a <laughs> Just single... Just this panel. Oh. <laughs> I,
3: uh,
2: <laughs> I'm, a oh, single, I'm a single... I'm a single... Instant instance of humanity, but humanity's bigger than I. Yeah. Once you say that, and so that way, that's how I participate in it. No, it's only good, it's in a good grasping a part. So yeah. that's what I mean by humanity: is that we're able to participate in humanity because God has created many humans. What unites? What unites that? Uh, what unites that uh, human humanity is that they were all created by God as such, according to His essential, absolute idea of what mm. humanity is from eternity. And then, how you come to understand humanity, and this is very Aristotelian, is the mind is still abstracting that universal from the particular. But that universal, and this is how he grounds it as a Christian, and that's my original point, is through his doctrine of creation. How we know it exists is because we ascribe to God the notion or the divine absolute idea of humanity which he has in creating various humans impressed within us.
0: And and can you tell me, how do we know that the mind is abstract in the universal again?
2: Well, that I think is well, – that's the, the big weak point here is the epistemological problem is, well, how do we know we, we've gotten – how do we know we actually have – True knowledge of extra mental realities, and for Aquinas, it's really just it's philosophical dogma that just the mind's able to do it. But this and- uh, the,
1: the detailed side of epistemology has been a difficulty for all sorts of people. I mean,
2: yeah.
1: Van Til can say that we think God's thoughts after Him at a created level, which is I I believe is absolutely true. I think we have a plethora of biblical data to defend that claim. But at the same time, if we go about asking, well when I encounter, uh, or when I see a new car, how exactly does my mind work at understanding first that that's a car, right. of relating it to all other objects that are of the same color and shape, size, uh, touch? I mean, the, di- the there's a whole other level of um, the mechanics of epistemology that we have difficulty in explaining, in part because the Bible doesn't, pretend to go into all the all the issues of how epistemology happens, yet it has all the philosophical and theological foundations for how it's possible.
2: In my opinion, and what I will introduce later, is that I believe that Bavinck and Van Til retain this whole structure, and how we come to knowledge of the universal is through revelation. Things reveal God. Things, and God reveals himself through things, yeah, in the things and, that have been made, in the things that have been made, and therefore we know things in both their uniform, uh, in their universality and particularity. Mm-hmm. But nonetheless, the structure of God uh, having de- divine ideas, which he presses impresses upon created things, which in themselves reveal God as they are revelatory, as they reveal themselves. Um, that last part, I think, is being placed. In, in the structure by Reformed theologians But the rest of the megastructure mega Is very much intact hmm. And uh, Let me prove it <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll start with, uh, with Bavink uh, let's, let's start with the idea Of um, Where universals are mm-hmm. And Bavink will say On page 231 of volume 1 He says pretty clearly Realism, accordingly Was doubtlessly correct uh, in assuming the reality of universal concepts, not in a platonic or ontological sense prior to the thing themselves or anti-rem in Latin, but in an Aristotelian sense in the thing itself and therefore also in the human mind sub, uh, subsequent to the thing itself. So you see how it starts for, uh, for, for Bavink, the universal exists in the thing. And then it will exist in the human mind. We we derive all of our knowledge of the extramental world not by some platonic recollection, not by innate ideas, but by the experience of reality. And not just the experience, but also the intuition of universals amongst created beings. He'll say again in volume two. Let me just grab it. He makes the same point um, on volume two on page three hundred. And this is in context of speaking about the Trinity, but he's, he'll talk about the way in which our epistemology and metaphysics uh, contributes to the way we talk about the Trinity. He says, this, however, is to overlook an essential difference between God and his creatures. Undoubtedly, there is an analogy between the divine and the human nature. On account of that analogy, it is proper for us to speak of nature only with reference to God. But at the same time, this analogy also presupposes a very important difference. The concept of the nature of humans is a generic concept. Think Aristotle with his ten categories. Uh, Indeed, human nature exists not outside and above, but in people, in individual persons. Still, it exists in every human in a unique and finite way. Mm. So, so far, he's going pretty along with Aristotle, right? You'd think, huh, you know, it seems like you've, Tipped your hat to Aristotle, and you must have Bavink the Aristotelian. But just like Aquinas, he tempers this with a Platonic view of universals, a Neoplatonic view of universals or universal ideas existing absolutely in God. Let me give you another example. I think this is also in volume two, on page two oh six of Bavink, where he's, where he says, uh, applied to God, the idea. And this is talking about divine ideas. Applied to God, the idea means that God has made all things with wisdom. That wisdom is the firstborn of his ways. God is the supreme artist. Just as a human artist re- and this is straight from Aquinas. This is Aquinas' uh, this is his example. And, and you know, Babbin, because if you look in the footnotes, he's read quite some p- obscure texts in Aquinas. But anyway, so he says, just as a human artist realizes his idea in a work of art, so God creates all things in accordance with the ideas he has formed. Think of the Neoplatonic Doctrine of Ideas, now being Christianized. The, the world is God's work of art. He is the architect and the builder of the entire universe. God does not work without thinking, but he is guided in all of his works by wisdom and by his ideas. And it, he'll go on. But there's also a difference between God and earthly artists. God's ideas are absolutely original. They arise from his own being. They are eternally, eternal and immutable. Indeed, they are, the only, uh, they are one with his being. The ideas in God are the very being of God insofar as this being is the pattern for created things to be expressed and molded in finite creatures. yet again, straight Thomism uh, and he he'll go, he'll go on every now this is the part where he departures and is genius where he departs from Thomas he says every creature is a revelation of God and participates in god 's being now when he uses that word participates he 's not saying that we ho- we share or we take part in god 's being is that we are in an instantiation of god 's self understanding of himself, which he then you know how God can be imitated by creatures because is there such thing as a creature which does not image God in some way
1: mm.
2: instantiated in a created manner, and in that way we participate as an imitation. And that's exactly what Aquinas will say, especially I think in his commentary on Pseudo Dionysius on the Divine Names, that we participate in God, but only by imitation. So
1: for so for Baving, participation is imaging,
2: right? Okay, and that's how it is for Aquinas as well. When it comes to us and God, we participate in God's being, but only by a imitation of that being. And the way that we can discuss that imitation is through that his doctrine of analogy, which. Aquinas uh sorry, Bavink you know, pretty much takes that as well. Hmm. The whole uh structure of the doctrine of analogy. And so for also with God, is God um is is God a substance like for Aristotle or is he transcendent of being, is he eternal good for Bavink? For for God, uh God is primarily being and uh and to be known as a, as uh as we are only analogates of his of, 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 of his being. Hmm. So uh that is I think a very helpful way of taking these two different traditions the, the platonic and the aristotelian and molding them into a a, yeah. a christian worldview.
1: Hey before before we run out of time too much because uh, we can't we got to get moving at some point but uh now uh not to make things personal okay <laughs> but uh what are what are some of the main issues and concerns that doc- Dr Scott Oliphant has particularly in his recent article in the journal on Bavink and realism?
2: I think uh, it's partially, from from what I, was, from what I read, is that Bavink doesn't have a whole paragraph, or maybe he should even have a whole chapter of his dogmatic, mm-hmm. saying how philosophy is dependent upon, governed by, um, and absolutely useless without a theological worldview already at play. I believe Bavink believes this he says it elsewhere, and he'll say, say it almost just, just constantly throughout, but he doesn't have an actual statement of that. And I think it's also um, that there is skepticism, especially amongst Van Til, and Dr. Oliphant is a faithful follower of Van Til, to um, choosing realism as the most appropriate or as the sole avenue for Christian epistemology. Mm-hmm. I think what they would rather prefer... Um, especially Van Til says this in the beginning of Sur- uh, of Survey of Christian Epistemology is that we can take from numerous different forms of uh, of epistemology and still maintain our Christian theistic worldview. Mm. But for Bavink and there is some on Van on Van Til's part, there is some aspects where he believes that Bavink is proposing realism as a theological epistemology. That is how we know God. For Bavink, he switches. If you see in the, in the prolegomena section. He uh, in that chapter, scientific foundations. The whole beginning of the chapter is on how we know God. He makes this incredible statement at the end, at the end of that section. He says it is modified in each person's conscience depending on the capacity for it, but materially it remains identical knowledge, knowledge that proceeds from God and is transplanted by way of revelation into the consciousness of rational creatures. These three principia. He's talking about the principium. Uh, ascendi principium, cog descendi principium mm-hmm. internum. He says three; these three distinct uh, principia, distinct yet essentially one, are rooted in the trinitarian being of God. It is the Father who, through the Son as the Logos, imparts Himself to creatures by the Spirit. Mm-hmm. Incredible trinitarian, uh, trinitarian Christian theistic <laughs> epistemology. Next, well, just to clarify, next a sentence. Let me let me, I let, it, let me do the next sentence though, Jared. The next sentence yeah. after that is science always consists in the logical relationship between subject and object. What has just happened? (laughs) Bavink, no. (laughs) But the point is, is that at that point, I think, and it's very clear throughout the rest of the section, Bavink is no longer talking about how we know God. He's talking about mundane sciences, sciences, um, just like metaphysics or, um, any kind of the special sciences, biology. Yeah. Something like that. Uh, history. And he's not trying to propose realism as the sole avenue for how we'll know God. I mean, it's the most appropriate. We don't, we don't search after God as empiricists, for instance, mm. um, in, some, in some ways. But it's not, it, it's not exclusive. And I think they, they make that assumption that that's what he's proposing. He, at that point, and I, I wrote a paper on this for uh, on my modern age class. At that point, it's Bavinck the philosopher. He's doing philosophy and he's proposing the most appropriate philosophical epistemology in light of all the uh in light of the theological epistemology he just laid down hmm. and i i don't know why but it seems uh i i just i that's that's, that's the point of disagreement i guess i would have with my professor dr mm-hmm. often mm-hmm. jared you probably have something to say
0: well just to and i don't think it's personal at all but just uh to to clarify i think it's more that not that um you know Bavinck doesn't have scripture as his uh you know principium but um how consistent Bavinck is given those statements that you're referring to um so of course Bavinck believes in in what Van Til affirms um but the consistency question is really the primary one rather than does Bavinck now affirm something that's contradictory to what he said before i don't think that's the case um so it, Wait, it's how those right. things fit into the scripture as principium and foundation for philosophy.
2: So you don't – you think that he's not contradictory but he is inconsistent. Is that what I hear you saying?
0: Uh, no, I'm clarifying how we understand critiques of – or that particular critique of, of Bavink. And the question you asked is a different one from what I just said. Um, I think he – I think given his uh, – what you read on realism – I mean, there's a lot. There's a lot that we can say, but I.
2: Yeah, that might be a separate episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. it might. But be.
0: um, I think it, it should be assumed that, that we don't need to buy into realism wholesale or any other philosophical view wholesale. Um, as, but again, as yeah, as you were as you were talking about the universals and and all those things, I guess my critique would be the same: is how how consistent is that with everything that we affirmed in, in, the, fir- in the reformed in the reform tradition? Um, given philosophies. Role uh, subservient to theology, and um, I just don't know what the upside is about talking that way and using those terms that are so philosophically laden, rather than affirming the things that um, are explicitly in Scripture that have been affirmed by the the tradition throughout the church.
2: Well, it's because there is uh, when we're when we're talking about um, there is a point where this becomes no longer theology. We can't responsibly call. Some of the way that we like, for instance, is there a scriptural doctrine of universals? No, I don't think there is. Yeah, I don't think. If yeah, there, it if, hasn't
0: been written yet. You think there is? Yeah, it hasn't been written yet, but yeah. Mm-hmm. So, uh, well, I guess uh, to me there. It doesn't use that term, but it talks about ideas and um, you know relating to who God is and, and how what He communicates in terms of just general concepts.
2: Do you think that we can have a biblical theology and an exegete a doctrine of of of, of, of uni- a uni- universal subsistence from from scripture?
0: I think whatever exists and whatever fields of study there are need to be tethered to scripture, and that can oh, either be directly, as in the case of theology, or maybe you know, let's say two steps, even though that's not that that helpful in going from um, those, you know, I guess more systematic implications from scripture to other fields, like you're talking about philosophy, sociology. Yeah, that's my science, point. Is whatever that, it is. I'm not
2: saying it's not tethered. I'm saying it's distinct. So a doctrine of creation, that is a theological doctrine that we've used a lot when we're talking about universals. But that's the distinction here is that our doctrine of universals, I think, is inherently philosophical, but it is wrought through a Christian understanding of the doctrine of creation, which is inherently theological. And so we take that's what I think that's what it means uh and did, when you're doing philosophy to do have Christian theistic presuppositions that if i'm going to talk about universals, I can't talk about it in the same way that Plato did, and I can't talk about it in the same way Aristotle did. I have to talk about it within the context of the Christian theistic worldview, which is handed down to me through theology and then if I, i'm now going to discuss you know how is it that I can predicate of canon and I humanity and all at the same you know while well, maintaining our distinct subsistence the doctrine of universals is a very helpful one one that even you know van till affirms uh and uh pretty, pretty much so many of our in our tradition have affirmed but nonetheless i think it's philosophical in that at least i don't think you can responsibly exegete it from from scripture
3: well bob i have a probably an elementary question but when for example when paul's talking on in act 17 on the areopagus yep. he's talking about one kind of flesh for birds and fish and humans would you call that philosophy or theology or maybe maybe not even maybe not even the event in and of itself the thing is the, I wouldn't
2: even say I wouldn't even call Paul's writings theology Paul's writings are inspired texts given to me is by the Holy Spirit. Well, Theology is a
3: human... That's hyper. I, I don't want to make a distinction. Theology is a human uh, science. Well, what, what well, so Paul's saying there, and sure, surely what Paul's saying is orthodox there, but if we're just to make a distinction, what Paul's saying in Acts 17 isn't inspired per se. The recorded... What's be, what Luke is writing is inspired. So so it's actually categorically different, Paul, which is why it's different from when Paul talks about either being as honed, or Tapanta or something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
2: I just, the problem is, is that my only access to it is through inspired scripture, where I wouldn't be able to. I mean, and also it's you know it's the words of, of the apostle being recorded by an inspired writing. Mm-hmm. So at that point, it really it's well, not helpful then, to start talking about. Like for instance, if when when you read uh, census reports in the Old Testament, is that mathematics? Well, no, it's not really mathematics. No, mathematics but is it sociology,
3: field. though? No, at it's, some level, it's, it's it's
0: not any one thing, though, is it? it it's not one thing, and no, to it, the exclusion it, of every single it, other field it, that exists,
2: it transcends. It transcends them all. Yeah, that's my point. It's it's transcendent over all of our knowledge, um, and it principles our knowledge. But it's not it, scripture. That's what makes it so transcendent. It's not human knowledge. It's divine. It's divine knowledge given to us. So that we could have human knowledge uh, through its through the way it grounds us and principles us. So
3: then, so, is it possible for scripture to record somebody doing philosophy?
2: That's a. Now we're doing scholastic. <laughs>
3: that's, a, that's,
2: well, a, that's an obtruse question. Well, I think not you obtuse, would say no. Adtruse, yeah. you know what I'm saying. Uh, no, of course not. Because ph- this is the thing: philosophy is a human science. It's a human endeavor scripture is not so therefore it it like for instance you would not want to say i don't think that the bible is theology or if you would maybe it's divine theology it's divine it's god speaking about himself but i mean if the protestants have always made a distinction between that theology or you know god's own knowledge of himself and are and that's the archetypal. Well, we talk about and,
1: Paul the theologian. Doctor Gaffin makes a pretty convincing case for that in the beginning of his Resurrection and Redemption.
2: Right. And, yeah. And that's
0: and that would be in contrast to what Kuyper says, which is exactly what Bob is saying. And I just I just can't get away from the fact that when Scripture talks about God, what else are you going to call
2: that? So so far, are you are your are, your argument so far is that Gaffin does say that Paul's a theology. Second argument well, is that I sound Cyprian, can... and the third argument is <laughs> no, it's, Scripture it's exactly talks about Kyperian. God. <laughs> oh, sorry. Okay. The ar- second argument is it's exactly Cyprian, and the third yeah. argument is Scripture talks about God. Therefore, it's theology.
0: It's, it's not really three, three arguments; it's three statements. But okay. yeah, when when Scripture makes a statement about God, I don't know what else to call that.
2: B- uh, biblical revelation. That's usually what I'd call it. It's yeah.
0: In in terms of saying that it is not theology. When Scripture yeah, talks about God, it is not theology. Do you do you understand what, both, where at least we're coming and. from? Yeah, exactly.
2: No, well, it's... No, it's, it's not divine, theology when Scripture
1: talks about God.
2: It's divine revelation. To well, the exclusion
1: all, of theology.
2: Well, we're yes, coming back
1: to different understandings of the word theology, and this is the divisions of the sciences yeah. question.
2: Yeah, it's pretty much... Yeah. I, it, I, I mean, if you... Jared, you read... You read uh, Muller with me that one summer. That's the distinction they yeah. would make between ectypal theology and our archetypal theology, and ectypal. And so, our theolo- you cannot make it you cannot make an association with our theology, or sorry, no, our theology is not even ectypal theology. Uh, ectypal theology is in scripture. Archetypal theology is God's necessary knowledge of Himself. Our theology is a science of investigating scripture. God's revelation, in order to know him. And that's different than what Paul's doing. Paul is an inspired writing. That's different than what John's doing, A inspired writer. That's different than what John is doing. It's a completely different method. Uh, It's a a completely... uh, Paul
1: can still look at Scripture, reflect upon it, and still write and record inspired words of God.
2: Yeah, but once that happens, it's no longer the same kind of thing. For instance, can I... Can I denounce Paul on the basis of a theological methodology? Can I say, Paul, you're wrong on your use of an Old Testament text based upon my hermeneutical method? I couldn't do that. That's not allowed. Why? Because he's he's, he's beyond the pale of the discipline. (sighs)
0: These are apples and oranges, though. It's it's not – they're category distinctions. They're apples and orange categories. It just – it doesn't compare. I mean
1: it's just – Does Paul have a theology of justification? Absolutely. Absolutely.
2: Yes, but if you're speaking formally, Mm -hmm. Paul is what – he has a doctrine, a teaching of justification. Theology is a discipline which has certain subject, object, and methods – and so those methods don't Which Paul uses,
3: <laughs> and that's 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 involves, Greg Veal's whole point. Yeah,
2: but it involves a, it involves an element that we do not have, and that distinguishes it from what we do. Well,
1: of course, what Paul, what Paul writes is distinguished from what I would write in a paper. But I'm still willing what, to what call... what distinguishes it. Well, his is inspired. In yeah, that's, that's I, a I know big that's your point. But, but at the same time, I'm not willing to say that mine's
2: theology, his isn't you would say that his is divine, inscripturated revelation.
1: Yeah, and it's also theologizing. Paul does theologize throughout his writings, and and it's recorded and inspired as well. That's in addition to uh, anything I would do, of course. But yeah, I, mean, I, I can think still he, think that he gives we can a good example. Paul, the theologian, we can of think of the theology. Well, of let's Paul. put it this we way: the we can look
2: at Paul as a good example mm-hmm. on how we can try our best to do theology. That's a but nonetheless, it's it's almost like it's almost like asking, um, it's almost like asking things about Jesus Christ that you know was he was he a, a human? Sure. You can say yes, but then you have to make a lot of qualifications afterwards, where it's it's something very different, and all the all the questions you'll ask about humanity, about Christ, can, and and my humanity, you'll come up with. There's just qualifications on the basis of who we is ontologically.
1: Yeah, well w- in fact again, we've talked about this issue, the division of the sciences before, and I don't want to belabor the point, but for instance, Paul does biblical theology. We can take and we can learn how he looks at scripture, how he reads it, how he understands it. And I believe we can underst- we can derive and have a proper method and follow after Paul in that method. And if we don't read scripture that way, then we are wrong uh yeah, that's, but yet w- the difference is simply that you know the conclusions i come to in my theologizing i can't have uh you know the absolute firm conviction that they're correct as if as i can when i'm reading scripture that's the difference it's not it's not the, i don't think they're necessarily different disciplines um you know in many ways of course there's a lot of what paul's written you wouldn't say is necessarily theologizing right but he, there also is theology in his writings,
2: plenty of mm-hmm.
0: it. Yeah, I think and all scripture is God breathed, and then you know, if I can paraphrase that and say, God. In-
1: we
2: lose him, Jared. I think the Skype went kaput. Well, I'm I'm speaking quite formally. Mm-hmm. For you were to say, like, if I were to say, is there? Were is you're there speaking beyond? with. Uh, Thomistic understanding of the no, division I'm of the not. sciences Right? No, it's not a Thomistic understanding It's actually in, the, it's in volume one Of, of Richard Muller's work They would all disagree with what you're saying right Sure,
1: now. okay so you And so it's very,
2: it's very scholastic Which would have a very formalized view Of how disciplines relate Sure And I don't want to call upon precedent So I won't do that And I'll just keep with the argument That uh, you cannot treat the Bible You know who treats the Bible like theology? Would be Carl uh, Bart. Mm. He, for him, the Bible is theology. Why? It's the first kregma. It's the first preaching. It's the first talking about the revelation of Christ. That that is to me consistent with with your view to say that the Bible is theology. For me, the Bible is transcendent. It's transcends theology. It's, but it's not an either or. Right. That's are... the, that's the issue.
1: You're making this an either or issue. It's a both-and. The Bible does contain theology and theologizing. It's a, it's a different type and a different order and a different authority than anything that would happen from a non-inspired source. But that's not to say that there is no theology in the Bible simply because it is inspired. That's the difference between what we're saying, I Yeah, believe. but
2: you guys, when you think theology, it seems like you're thinking, talk about God. That's what seems to be going on... No, not necessarily. Then when I think theology, I think of scientific methods, principles, and a subject and object matter, uh, which distinguishes... But you find the that dis- in Scripture, too. What? What you just said. Well, that's fine. I, <laughs> you're saying I find my doctrine of disciplines in Scripture? <laughs> no, you find people doing that in Scripture. Doing what? Exactly what you just described. Yes, but what I would make the distinction is between uh, the method. The, the method of theology is totally revolutionized by the, or not revolution. Not a good way to put it, but is made distinct by biblical writers' inspiration and inspiration by the Holy mm. Spirit. It just makes it something completely different, and and also it also bears a new kind of certitude. Scriptural statements, well, no unlike doubt. there's no, no, we're not disagreeing on that. But that's what distinguishes it. What distinguishes it is that if I were to say the Bible is theology, am I just down? It's not an identity. So you would say that there's ultimately two different kinds of theology there's God theology and there's man theology? Is that what you're saying? It's theological,
0: it's not Bible is theology.
2: There are are instances in scripture of of
1: inspired people theologizing and doing theology and recording theology
3: and reflecting on the old testament and jesus teaching.
2: Well, I know that's your statement, guys. You're just yeah, I'm but, trying to make the difference here is is, but, is the is the is the well, fact Paul that was
1: talking in uh, Romans chapter 4. Right. about Abraham and about justification. Yep. Um he's synthesizing, he's looking at uh all of redemptive, uh, re- well, all of redemptive history and uh, in, in inscri- the inscripturated word up to that point, right? And he's theologizing, and making statements, and comparisons, uh, and he's doing theology, right. and he records it and writes it down. And because it is under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, not only is he doing theology, but he's also writing the inspired words of God at the same time. So it's does both s- and
2: it's a both and. Well, I'll probably, I mean, you guys are asserting your point.
1: And- <laughs> Galatians 4, what's that?
3: It seems like you the know, disconnect.
2: biblical revelation.
3: But it seems like the disconnect is that what you're critiquing, Bob, is a Bardian view. And I think you put it well, and that's not what well, we're that's saying.
2: that's not what I, I was saying. That would be a more consistent form of what you're saying.
3: So, for example, when Paul's telling Timothy to go, like, remember to get his scrolls. Yep. That might be – he might have theological reasons for that, but he's not theologizing at that time. And I think – would we agree on that? Yeah. Or, it,
1: it, it? It's not exhaustive. It wouldn't be uh, – I, I don't think it would be appropriate to say that all of Scripture is is theology, nor is Scripture a theology textbook or a systematic theology. Some people have said those right. things about Romans. It's not the case. Romans is an epistle. Romans is a letter. Uh, but and it's yet, also
0: not all story. Bible is story. There's a lot right. of things that it's not – uh, exclusively to every other discipline.
1: I just don't I just want to, I'm very hesitant to to say that we have to accept one to the exclusion of the other. That Paul is a theologian and I think in many of the many of his writings we find theology. But that's now, not to say that we have to choose either theology or inspired word. Neither is it to say that if I follow Paul's theological method, I I can Come up with inspired
2: results for me. It's almost like an analogy. <laughs> like if you were to ask me, like we had this discussion last time, we had philosophy theologians. Yeah. Like, is there history in the Bible? Sure. Is there theology in the Bible? Is there biology in the Bible? Is there geology in the Bible? Is there anthropology, you know, cultural studies in the Bible? I could answer yes. There's those all those things in the Bible, right? But it's an it, there's it's 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 kind of. Let me use this. It's kind of like saying that there's creative being and divine being. There's such a distinction there that you want to keep really distinct uh, between all our disciplines and the way we function within these disciplines, let's say. So is there philosophy in the Bible? Sure. Uh, but nonetheless, it's not the same, and I can't talk about it in the same way, and, it, and there's uh, fundamental distinctives. Between the things in the Bible that appear to look like our forms of knowledge, let's say history, mm. and our forms of knowledge in anthropology, or even our form of knowledge in theology, because the way we do theology is, is very particular with our time and moment.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: So, in that way, there is an, an analogy there, but you can't, I will not say that it's within the scope of the discipline of what it is to be theology there's there's always an analog to the way our disciplines work with scripture or what scripture is it is history we have our own we have our own discipline of history but nonetheless it's a it's a different kind of history that cannot be evaluated or um ascribed to by the basis of our own method and methods think about well it's just uh, think about, yeah, think I, about get, I get it
0: bob but like you know The work is going to be on your part, because when I read something in Scripture that makes an an historical claim, like, you know, let's say Christ was risen from the dead, um, that looks like a lot of other historical claims. And to say, nope, that's different because it's inspired— Um, to deny that it's a historical claim. You can't just draw a straight line from it's inspired to it's not a historical claim. There's a lot of spade work that needs to be done in between those two claims that hasn't been
2: done yet. You realize what I believe that the resurrection of Christ is a real phenomenon. Like, it happened in reality. When I say that it's not history per se, is that we don't evaluate it or nor do we uh, propose it on the basis of our historical work. You should know this as an apologist. Do you believe in the resurrection of Christ on the basis of? Um, of Bob, you're of getting
0: things? it. You're not answering. You're not addressing what I just now said. I know yeah. that there are historical that there are differences in historical method between history out there in the academy. Yeah, and
2: that dis- and dis- that scripting- distinguishes it as a discipline. That's that is answering your, your question. It's dis- that those methods distinguish it as and as for what you. It is. And
1: for you, that's to say that what is in scripture is not history.
2: Now, let me be very I know, I know very but you're qualified careful. that,
1: but you don't want to say that it's
2: history. I don't want to say it's history because what happens when theologians start treating it as history? Just like, you know, last time in the show I brought him up, and this time in the show I'll bring them up again. That's exactly what inspiration and incarnation is. It is treating the Bible as with historical or philological or archaeological Methods. Mm-hmm. It's saying I can affirm some things about Scripture on the basis of these mes- methods, mm-hmm. and some I can't on those methods. He's treating it as history, in, and that's in,
0: definitely the wrong way to go. It's it's wrong to treat Scripture uh, by the methods of just secular history. That's right. That's completely right. right At the so, same time, that doesn't that doesn't mean that then therefore. Scripture, when it talks about history, is not doing something historical, is not history, just because you can misuse it. And if you take that and abstract it into the current secular disciplines, that's a wrong method.
2: You don't throw the baby
0: out with the bathwater.
2: I'm I'm not throwing any baby out.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I'm not doing that at all. Well, guys, we're going to have to call call an end to this because of – Places I've got to be and things I've got to time, unfortunately. Because <laughs> uh, of life. We've gone about 40 minutes over time, but that's, uh, that's all right. So um, we're going to start uh, wrapping things up. Are there any, uh, you know, w- w- we'll absolutely continue the discussion. I mean, this is in many ways a continuation of the discussion from uh, last time. And so, uh, again, people don't email us if you think, oh, you guys are all upset with each other. And we're friends, we yeah. talk, we debate, <laughs> we do this all the time. And it, it's it's fun. Do and people and so, actually email saying sometimes that? sometimes we get complaints that people are rude and this and that and the other. But do people say I'm rude? Um, you could probably be not. <laughs> probably <laughs> mostly they think we're rude to you, <laughs> which might is the case. I don't know. Um, anyway, it's just to say that that sometimes when you get a discussion among friends and you have outside people listening in who aren't actually participating yeah. in person, things can be misconstrued. We're all good buddies. We get along. Yes, yes. This is That's just uh, par for the course. So, yeah, this has been a fun discussion. Uh, um, Jared, where, where might people find uh, more about uh, Westminster and, and the other things that are going on uh, in relation yeah. to this program?
0: The, uh, the couple good ways are WTS.edu. That's the main page, and it has our Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter links, and uh, iTunes U links over to the right. And I wouldn't uh, encourage people to, you know, if you're more interested in these kinds of conversations, there are a lot of lectures that deal with the relationship of philosophy to theology uh, at the iTunes U page. And so if you click that, it just opens up iTunes and to um, especially our iTunes U page. But, um, yeah, the, the Facebook uh, URL is just facebook.com slash Westminster Online. Mm-hmm. Same thing with YouTube, youtube.com slash Westminster Online. And we've, we've been doing more Twitter things recently. So, twitter.com slash Westminster TS. And uh, you can uh, join us on there.
1: Yeah. And of course, uh, Reform Forum and everything's available at reformedforum.org. We have all sorts of stuff available there. Visit the new refreshed website and uh, you can tweet us at Reformed Thanks, everybody, for watching and listening. Join us again next time on Philosophy for Theologians.